Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. jumping into week three of our Advent series where we continue to prepare our hearts for the season that we're in. And the season that we're in is one where we are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, when Christ came 2,000 years ago, took on human flesh and showed up in Bethlehem because he was gonna be our redeemer and he was gonna purchase our redemption. That's what we're gonna get to talk about this morning, and I'm so excited to get to share about that because we've been in a, in a series where we are talking about the story that we are in, the story about God and who he is, the story of the world in which we find ourselves in, and the story of God's love for mankind. And we've been noticing throughout each movement that we've moved through from the very beginning of creation and then fall Today with redemption and then next week in culmination, we're seeing that God has always been Emmanuel. He has always been a God that who has been characterized by wanting to be with his people. And as we enter into movement three, redemption, we are now gonna get to meet God as redeemer. And we're gonna get to unpack all the glories of what redemption means in our life. And my favorite thing about it is that it's true, that it's real. And so it's our privilege to kind of get to dive into that together this morning. I, I kind of start with that idea of it's real is because as a, as a father of five, and I don't know if this is true for you parents or maybe grandparents or aunts and uncles with kids, kids ask all, I mean, all the time, especially when they're young, is this real? Is that real? Like it's, is Daniel Tiger real? Is Lightning McQueen real? Like they just ask it all the time. I was reading a book last night with one of my daughters and it's a hundred year old book about a duck. And she's like, is is this book real? It's like, the duck is talking. It's not real, you know, but anyway, but it's always like this like wah, wah moment, you know, I was like, man, I feel like I just by acknowledging that Spider-Man or Superman is not real, it's a bummer or something. One of the kind of classic moments in our family's uh, lore about kind of this wah, wah moment about what's real or not is we were at six, uh, not Six Flags, we were at Disney World a few years ago and we were kind of gathered around. It was like the light parade at night or the light show at night where uh, you're kind of sitting around the Magic Kingdom castle and there's like environmental projection, incredible light show. There's like fairies flying by on zip lines and uh, any number of other things happening. And at one point, like one of the fairies kind of flies by. I don't know if they still do this, but one of the fairies fly by and, and kind of up in the sky goes, if you see a star, wish upon it and all your dreams will come true. And uh, my three-year-old at the time goes, dad, is that real? Is that true? And before I could even like kind of frame a response to this moment, one of my other kids, kind of with all of their six years of wisdom says, well, in my wisdom or in my experience, dreams have never come true. And you're like, wow. And like, we're like, why? why? Like, it's like, well, there goes the, the feeling that we had together as a family. But it's one of my favorite things about Christmas is when kids begin to ask, is that real? Is that baby in a manger? Is that real? It's like, yes, Jesus is real. And let me tell you what he really came to do 
for you and me. And it's one of these great little times in our life where we get to just celebrate what is real. And so don't miss out on these opportunities that you get with your family to celebrate the realness of Christ and what he has done on our behalf. We've been in this series that we've been moving through and we've kind of started in creation and then we moved to the fall and we saw in creation that God was with us in creation and we talked about how mankind was the crowning achievement of God's creation but that even in that moment that he just wanted to be with us. This was a story that was marked by resting in what he's done for us, not about us performing for him. And then last week we were in the fall, this this moment where Satan disguised as a serpent declared war, we said, declared war on God's creation. Satan couldn't defeat God himself in the heavenlies. And so when he was banished to this earth, he came to then do the next best thing, which was to take the war to God's image bearers, us, mankind, Adam, Eve, in this moment. And you could summarize a lot in the, um, but just to be very brief, it is God created us, we were created, and then we sinned. And in a way, the story could have ended right there. The story could have ended really before it ever began right there in Genesis 3. But God. We talked about last week that God showed up looking for us as we were hiding from his very presence. He came and found us in our hiding spots. But God was going to reveal himself in a new way. And we're going to get to jump into that today. Now, I will say this. For some, tragically, the story does end right there in Genesis 3, metaphorically. There are some that have been created, and there are some that have sinned, and they have stayed hiding from the presence of God for the remainder of their days. And it's a tragic ending. And whether they've kind of taken the pen and tried to write their own story, or maybe they've taken the pen and tried to create a story where God's not involved in it any way, at the end of the day, they have, like all of us, kind of walked into captivity unaware of what they were doing when they were picking sides with Satan. And And you and me, have stayed in bondage and in captivity to our sin. And then God in his kindness has come and rescued some of us, but others stay right there in that middle, hiding from him the rest of their days. But today we get to talk about redemption and what God also did in the garden, what he's been doing ever since then. And so let me pray for our time because we're about to to embark on some glorious truths. And let me pray that they wouldn't just sink in here, but they would connect deep with our hearts so that we might respond fully to them. So let me pray for our time this morning. Lord, will you use our time to reflect on who you are as Redeemer? Will you reflect, will you use our time to help us reflect upon just how glorious the redemption it is that you offer us Lord, will you help us to respond rightly to it for our good and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at kind of what is redemption. We're going to define it and then talk about some of its benefits. And then we're going to talk about how redemption came about. And then we're going to spend the last bit of our time talking about how the redeemed should 
respond. So turn with me to Ephesians 1. We're going to start there in our time this morning. We'll be jumping around to a few different places in Scripture. But before we begin, let me just define the word redeem and define the word redemption so that we're on the same page together. The word redeem uh, means to release or to ransom or to buy out. And this word was specifically used in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. In fact, the first time it shows up in your Bible, the word redeem is in the context of Exodus 6.6, where if you remember where we are in scripture in Exodus, this is where the Israelites are stuck in bondage. They're stuck in slavery in in Egypt. And in Exodus 6.6, God says, I will deliver you from slavery to them, that's Egypt, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Biblically speaking, the word redeem means to buy out from slavery to sin. It's a powerful word. It's a word, that's how it was used in ancient days, but even still today, this picture of being bought out from that which has enslaved us. And so with that picture in mind of redemption, let's go to Ephesians 1 and let's read in verse 7 about the redemption that we have. It says in verse 7, in him, this is in Christ, We have redemption through his blood. It's the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. Now, if you noticed, I emphasized the hymns and the his, because I want to just even up front remind us that redemption is first and foremost about God and what Christ has done for us. Redemption is Christ's and it is the story about him and what he's done, not a story about us. Redemption is his work, his way for his glory. Only thing we've contributed to the act of redemption is the sin and the captivity that made it necessary in the first place. This is about what he has done. Mankind sold himself into slavery to sin, and we've been forever stained by it. But with redemption, we, Christ followers, those that have trusted in what Christ has done for them on the cross through his blood, we'll unpack that later, we have been forgiven from past present and future sins. And one of the first great benefits of that is that truth of all that we have been forgiven for. And when we process that, that that is real, that forgiveness is real for all of our sins, it should release us from the guilt and shame that attaches to those sins. So we don't have to walk around in hiding. We don't have to walk around not sharing our story or hiding the sordid things that we have done. We've been forgiven for it. Now, Scripture talks about a godly sorrow attending these things, but there does not have to be guilt and shame that attaches it to us. We've been released from that. That's one of the great gifts and blessings of what redemption is, is it releases, it forgives us of our sin, Christ does, And then we get to be released from the guilt of our sin. The second thing that redemption does is it rescues us from our futile ways. If you remember last week, we talked about big capital S sin and all that that means in the world. Then we talked about how that sin, 
that capital S sin gave us a sin nature and that sin nature kind of came in here and we started to mess things up on our, our own. And even us believers who have a new nature, we still have this sin nature kind of floating around in us that if we yield to it, we'd start to return to our feudal ways. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. It says, knowing that you were ransomed. That's another word, remember, for redeemed. Knowing that you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That's your sin nature that you've inherited. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed from the feudal ways with the precious blood of Christ. We'll come back to that in, the, in a little bit. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, Christ, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. All of us are prone to return to our former ways, those of us that are believers. We still succumb at times to our futile way of living, our old way of living, but this is a reminder that we've been redeemed from our sin nature. God himself has given us a new nature, a new heart, He's given us the ability to read his word, walk with his people. Even when it comes to temptation, God has given us the way of escape. We don't have to stay stuck in our futile ways. And even when we slip up, we have an opportunity to not be defined by guilt and to keep repeating those ways. We have an opportunity to stand into the light because we've been redeemed. We don't have to stay in captivity and we get to confess it, talk about it. So when we walk in our futile ways, it's like we walk back into a captivity. We walk back into a prison where the doors stay open and, there's, and we're not chained to it forever. But sometimes we choose to stay in that and to stay lingering in our futile ways. We've been redeemed from that. So you don't have to stay stuck and you don't have to go back to the same sins again and again. It's not hopeless. You've been redeemed from it. You don't have to return to it. If you have returned to it, get others in your life because you've been rescued from it and you can walk in it. And then the third thing in which we have been redeemed is we have been delivered from the hopelessness of capital S sin. The sin that has brought back in the garden that brought all manners of evil into this world, disease and death and disaster and, and, and other evil that just shows up sometimes in our living room, other times just out in the world that we have to deal with. We don't have to be held captive in hopelessness towards it. Romans 8, 23 through 25 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirits, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. There is a future redemption coming. We get to unpack that next week in culmination. But in the meantime, we don't have to be stuck in hopelessness as we face the different things that capital S sin still puts into our world. Verse 24, for as we wait for the future redemption uh, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If you're weary of the impact of capital S sin in your life, know that God is in the process of redeeming all of that for his glory. He will get the final word on all of this. But every time you experience pain in this world, and you have to fight for joy amidst the sorrow, and you do that. 
you're proving that you do not have to be in slavery to hopelessness. God's freed us from it. We know that there is a future day coming. Every time that we sing in the middle of one of life's storms, it proves that we are living by faith and that we've been redeemed from all the hopelessness that might come in. You've been freed from those things. And so redemption does a lot in our life. There'll be one more thing that we talk about in a little bit, but redemption has forgiven us for our sins and freed us from our guilt. Redemption has 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 has. Uh, uh, allows us to be rescued from our futile ways and redemption has delivered us from hopelessness from capital S sin now it begs the question how did redemption come about And redemption came about through the real person of Jesus Christ. He is real. There is a real redeemer. And he really showed up in Bethlehem. His incarnation was real. And he lived a real life, one of sinless perfection. And he went to a real cross where he shed his real blood. So that the O's that would trust in his body broken, in his bloodshed, would have forgiveness for their sins and redemption from it. This is real. The Redeemer is real. And so in Genesis 1, we got to meet God as Elohim, all-powerful, creator, sovereign God in control of the universe. And then in, in Genesis 2 and in Genesis 3 even, we got to meet God as Yahweh, personal, intimate, covenant-keeping God. And what man intended for evil, what Satan intended for evil, God was going to use to reveal another aspect of his character. He was going to reveal himself as redeemer. So let's go meet this God that is our redeemer. Go back with me to to Genesis 3. And let's go see when redemption, when the redeemer is promised, because I think this is instructive. So recap, in Genesis 3, we see mankind choosing to become a prisoner of war of such, choosing the enemy's side, stepping into captivity in that decision. And yet, God comes to our hiding spots. And in one of our darkest moments, he's going to reveal something new to us about him. Genesis 3, 15 says this. God speaking here, speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, this offspring, that he is a singular male pronoun, one that will come from the woman. He shall bruise your head, serpent, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. This is what is often referred to as the proto-evangelium. Proto, the first, the prototype. Evangelium, short for evangelism. The first gospel right here. The first announcement of Christmas right here. Genesis 3.15 in one of man's darkest moments. God is going to reveal himself as redeemer and he's going to promise redemption for his people And it's this amazing moment, right, where we have taken the pen from God's hand. We try to write our own story into it, and God immediately takes back over and says, I am going to write redemption into the story like I did, like I knew I would 
way back before the world began. And then even in Genesis 3, 21, we see in 15, we see the Redeemer promise. Then we see what redemption will look like foreshadowed. In verse 21, it says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them, taking away their sin and shame and putting on garments of skin to clothe their nakedness and that which was shaming them. See if this doesn't sound familiar. In order to do that, innocence had to be slain. And in order for sin and shame to be covered. A little glimpse of what redemption would ultimately look like in man's darkest enemy, or in the man's darkest moment, we sold ourselves to sin. And God's answer is, I will send a redeemer and I'm going to go get my people back. Not to ransom us from Satan. He doesn't owe Satan anything, but to pull us out of captivity to sin. God comes for us. A Redeemer's promised, a Redeemer's foreshadowed. And then Luke 1, the Redeemer arrives. Let's read it together. And I want to remind you, Christmas is an announcement of redemption to the enslaved. It's an announcement of liberation. And in Luke 1, verses 68 through 72, Zechariah is prophesying. This is the father of John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit in this, in this moment. And he prophesies this, the announcement of Christmas, the announcement that there is a Redeemer that is coming. It says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. There's a redeemer coming for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And he did show to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. A redeemer is promised a redeemer the redemption is foreshadowed in Genesis 3. And then right there in Luke 1, Christmas, the announcement of a Savior has come and he is on arrival. And then we know this about Jesus. God on high, Emmanuel, God with us, came and lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived one of sinless perfection. And then we know that this redeemer came to be sacrificed, that redemption would come at a high price for redemption would be purchased with the very blood of Christ and the very life of Christ. Let's read about it in Isaiah 53 verses two through seven, that how this redeemer would be sacrificed. This is a messianic prophecy that Isaiah was writing about what the redeemer would look like, what redemption would entail what the savior of the world would look like so that the world wouldn't miss it. And in verse two of Isaiah 53, it says this about what that redeemer would look like, ultimately what Jesus would look like here, that he would have no former majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. He would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This Savior, this Redeemer, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like 
Sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, he would be oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like the lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That would come true. That would be a real prophecy speaking of the Redeemer that was coming. Paul would pick it up in this way and said, this is how Paul would write it. It says, for our sake, he, Christ, made him, God made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. How did our redemption come about? Through Christ sacrificed on the cross and in this glorious moment, this real moment, God takes the righteousness of Christ, the sinless, perfect life, and imputes that, gives that to us, for those of us that have trusted in what he has done for us on the cross. And God also, in that moment, takes our sin for those of us that have trusted in what Christ has done for us and places it on Christ. And Christ dies for it and redemption is purchased in that moment through Christ's body broken and through his blood shed. And so where was Jesus in this movement? How was he Emmanuel? He was right there in it, coming into the very world that he created, experiencing the same things that we created, experiencing even the effects of capital S, sin in this world, and seeing death and disease and disaster and evil in this world. Christ entered it with us. And then he would take on our sins so that the plan of redemption could be fulfilled. All sins have been paid for one of two ways for all time. Either eternal separation from God, a life spent apart from God, a tragic ending, or through Christ's blood shed on a cross, without it there is no forgiveness of sins. But with it, there is redemption and great forgiveness and then communion again with God. And on the day of redemption, this is real, folks. On the day of redemption, when we stand before God, he won't see our past sins and failures. He will see Christ's righteousness as what clothes us. That is real. That's how redemption comes about. And it then leads to the next question of how then should the redeemed respond? This movement of redemption is an incredible moment for, for that we get to live in today. We live in the fall, yes, and those of us that have been saved by Christ. We live in this era of redemption too. And the marvel of marvels is Christ's birth, Christ's death, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and then ultimately Christ's resurrection proving that he has power over sin and death and Satan. This is the foundation for the movement of redemption. It's the foundation for all of redemption. But in a, in a thing that just is a marvel to me is that God invites us into the story to write redemption with him. He's the author of it. He's the one that, that, that accomplishes all that he wants to accomplish, but he's like, I want to use you to help this story go forth. 
Psalm 107 says, this is what the redeemed are to do. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. What's our job? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. Our job is to tell the story of redemption again and again and again. Even our own story of redemption again and again and again. And God's inviting us back in to go, I want you to co-labor with me. Don't take the pen from my hand. Let me write the story through you. And that, what I've, that which I've rescued you from, I will use to tell my story of redemption and my power of what I can accomplish through my people that I have saved and that I have redeemed. And it's the wonder of all wonders that God invites us back in the story. You would think after we've blown it in the fall where we try to grab the pen and go, well, I'll do it my way, Lord. You would think he might go, all right, you've learned your lesson. Stay on the sidelines. Keep your mouth shut. God says, no, I'm giving you back the pen. Come right with me, the story of redemption, so that others may hear. It's a story that my own personal story of redemption, it's one that by the grace of God, he's afforded me many opportunities to, to get to share. And it's always a gift, first and foremost, to me, to be reminded of what the Lord has done in my life. But over the last few months, I had kind of grown a little bit stale in sharing the story of just what the Lord has done. And then ultimately sharing the story of redemption, the one that doesn't even involve me, but what, the, what God and his infinite wisdom has done for mankind, trying to purchase them back. And I'd grown stale in, 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 in talking about the story of redemption. And so maybe God in his kindness had me hot dog on, a, on the ski slopes one day so that I might tear my ACL so that I might get an opportunity to sit around at physical therapy and take advantage of sharing stories of redemption with other people that are kind of, unfortunately, at least for them, in my instance, maybe captive audiences. And so I committed to not take my AirPods in and just crank out a bunch of podcasts. I committed to leave them in the car and look for opportunities to tell the story of redemption, to tell my story of redemption. And it was amazing when I set aside my distractions and I looked for opportunities to get to share the story of what God has done in this world and in my life, there were ample opportunities waiting right away. And I began to share what the Lord was doing in my life. And I began to engage with other people in really encouraging ways. And they began to engage back. And then sure enough, they started engaging with other people. So much so that after a few weeks of, of people just starting to share their stories, my physical therapist comes up to me later and he goes, hey, you're not going to believe what I've done. He goes, there's so many people talking about Jesus right now that I just signed up for a men's church retreat. Goes, I haven't done that in 30 years. And I said, let's go. I had a friend there from Regen that we had been just kind of also talking to him and connecting with him. And so I couldn't wait to hear back after the church retreat weekend. And so we grabbed him after that weekend and we just inquired about it. He hadn't been a part of a church in any significant way in 30 years. And so when we asked him, he said, what did you think? His eyes lit up. He just said, have, have you ever been at a place where people shared their stories authentically about what has happened in their life. You know, and that's the region guy who gets to hear tons of stories a lot. I was like, tell me more. 
He said it was powerful to listen to all the ways that God has rescued different friends. He goes, 15 more, 15, 20 guys got up and shared about some of the mess in their own life and then what God was doing with it. And I, he just leaned in and he goes, man, it's, it amazed me. He said two things, one interesting and one really appropriate. The first thing he said is, man, first thing I thought it was, wow, people are messed up. But then he said, but man, it sure seems like God's powerful. And we got to spend longer talking to him. And then all of a sudden, he started just telling the story of what God was doing in his life through this church and this church retreat. And it was awesome to watch. It's this picture, friends, redeemed, that gospel conversations are contagious. So go start some. And the downline of redemptive stories, you have no idea where it will lead. I left my AirPods in my car for one day and had two conversations. And before long, that started to create a downline of stories of other people's redemption and the story of the story of redemption that we had no idea where it was going. The redeemed say so. It's our responsibility when we factor, when we consider all of the benefits that redemption has bought for us, that Christ has paid for us to have, when we think about all that he went through in order to secure that redemption, it should make it want to be the only story that we ever really want to tell. And it's real. And it's true. And others need to hear it too. And Christmas is a perfect time to tell the story because they see it all around. And we get to tell people that their story doesn't have to end with the fall, but that there is a redemption that is available. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about CityBridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.